Well, uh, a few weeks ago, I can't remember exactly what the occasion was, but a few weeks ago, I had to put on a tie, which I used to do every day when I taught at Newton North High School, but um, <laughs> believe it or not, and I was actually, I had this moment of self-loathing, and that moment came because I decided I'm really finally going to learn how to tie a Windsor knot, right, which is sometimes mistakenly called the double Windsor, but it's just kind of that full Windsor, because my whole life, I'd grown up making just what is the half Windsor, just the, hey, so you need to tie a tie quick knot, the one that my mother or father had taught me to do, and so I'm getting ready, and of course, where do I turn to figure out how to do this knot? I have one source, the World Wide Web, and so I'm sitting in front of the mirror, and um, I've got the computer right here sitting on the radiator, and I'm trying to follow this guy, do the double Windsor, or, you know, it's officially called the Windsor Knot, and uh, again, this incredible self-loathing, and I just go, what's wrong with you, you know? Why can't you figure this out? And also, you know, you've officiated X number of weddings and one funeral, and you still haven't figured out how to do this knot. You know, there's so many times when you should have used this knot, and so whatever. I just had this, this longing, like, where is my mom or dad? And, and I'm not faulting them. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to tie my own tie now. But I just, I was longing for them to come around me and just, you know, do that, you know, they do it from behind me. I was like, where are you, mom and dad? Well, I had a similar moment. Uh, the result wasn't self-loathing, but it produced more of a longing. And that was, as many of you know, Kelsey and I were delayed in getting into our apartment because our bathroom was getting totally renovated. And so um, uh, after we had moved in, the plumber had come back to do some finishing work. And so I went to the basement with him. He's a, he's a precious brother. His name is George. And he um, actually, you may see him sometimes on the streets of Beverly because he's a Gideon. And so he will pass out Bibles and he will, much like our YWAM brothers and sisters, and like Brianna um, was doing, just kind of um, having conversations with people about the Bible and about God. So George is downstairs in my basement and he pulls out his, his soldering um, stuff and he begins to solder a copper pipe and um, again this incredible longing came over me which was oh I wish I knew how to do this I wish that at some point someone had taught me how to do this and um, uh, I, I, and I talked about it with George I said George a part of me just wants to just kind of just follow you for a few days so I can learn how to do what you do because I can see from the work that you're doing as we're kind of in the basement under the tub I can see there is a difference between people who just kind of Mickey Mouse plumbing and then people who actually do a good job. And George is a man who does a great job. I said, this is wonderful. So what about you? I wonder, where are the areas in which you wish that there was someone who could have shown you the ropes? You know, we have some new mothers in the congregation. Maybe you're wishing, gosh, I wish someone was near where I could learn how to really mother my child. Many of us are looking kind of for answers vocationally. And maybe you're saying, I wish someone would show me what is it that I do well? Who am I called to be? What vocation should I give myself to? Or maybe you're in your job and you're thinking, gosh, I need someone who can just show me how to get to the next level. Or oftentimes, if you're like me, it's in relationships where it's just, where, where is a good person that I can trust? Where is my mom and my dad where I need them? I need a mentor here to help me navigate dating. And how do I know when to get engaged? Should I get married? Should I not? And relationships also is a place where we're saying, gosh, I wish someone was here to show me what to do or how to be. Well, in this series, of course, we've been talking about prayer. And so far, we've kind of established, hey, we can smell that our prayers matter, right? We, we looked at the incense example and we learned our prayers matter. 
And the second thing we found out last week was, hey, we can rest assured by praying the word. And now I wonder if in this next area, a lot of us wish, is there someone who could show us how to do this? Is there someone who could show me how to do this? I need mentoring and fathering in this area. And that area is, how do I relate to and how do I pray for those who don't share my faith? Right? How do I relate to and how do I pray for those who aren't churchgoers like me or not a believer like I am or not a follower of Jesus like I am, however you kind of identify yourself there. And, and I think we, we all are there at one time or another. We say, God, how do I relate better with those who don't know you? I think about the people in my family, the people in my office, the people that I see at Stop and Shop. And I think, gosh, how do I relate with these people and how do I pray for them? So we haven't tackled that. You know, last week when we looked at being rest assured we can pray the word, the scripture we looked at, Ephesians 1, 17 and beyond, was Paul's prayer for the church. He was praying for other believers. So now again, this question, how do we pray for those who don't yet know the love of God? And that's what we're looking at tonight. And the good news is, we have a great mentor We have a great father in the Lord. We have a great pastor who can inform us. Because the verses that we're going to look at are written. They're actually the last words that we have penned by Paul. And it's his last letter to a favorite companion of his. And some of you, I can already see the lights are going off. It's the last letter to his closest companion. And as opposed to last week when I mentioned Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Ephesians, being able to receive uh, guests, excuse me, he's in a different situation now. His second imprisonment in Rome, he's alone. Luke, the writer of Luke and Acts, is able to visit him some, but he's in a cold, dark cell with a few of his parchments. He's utterly alone, sometimes with Luke there, but the rest of his friends are unable to get to him or have been unwilling to get to him. And so what we have are we have the words of a mentor, a father, a pastor that we're looking at. And he's writing to the one man who he seems able to really take on the ministry to the Gentile churches that Paul had done. And it's a man who's young and he's timid and the Bible shows us that he's sickly. And so some of you are figuring it out. We're talking about the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Second Timothy is where we're looking. And we've got a great master who can share with us how do we relate to and how do we pray for those who don't know the Lord. This will be about 67 AD when Paul penned this. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. As we're going to look at Hey, how do we relate to and pray for those who don't know the Lord? Paul starts, and he's going to frame this a little bit. Remember, he's giving words, a master to a, uh, a mentor to a, to a son, to a disciple. This is what he says. We're going to start 1 Timothy 2, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. He says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. 
And so before we even get into the meat of the message tonight, we start with this little kind of frame that Paul's put around. And it carries through the ages to you and me. And I want to be very careful about what I'm about to say. But Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, you got a choice. You can be a noble vessel, gold, or you can be an ignoble. And it depends on some of your response to God. Now, what is not being in question here is the grace of God for Timothy's salvation. Timothy is secure in the love of God. He's been loved by the Father. Timothy knows that he belongs to God. But Paul is saying, hey, depending on how you build on this foundation is how available you are for the purposes and the adventure of God. And he's saying, what do you want to be for your master? And that's the question that God's asking us tonight. How, do we, how available do we want to be to our master? And as I think about us moving, I am anticipating a shift. And here's the shift I'm anticipating. And this is just me personally. I'm not not saying you all have to walk in this, but I pray also that I can make a way by what I'm about to say. You know, we're at about year three and a half of this little thing that God put in our heart about the harbor. And I say, thank you, God. We've got a great church that's been established. We've got some roots. God, you're good. You've been wonderful. But as, as we shift and kind of this next season of Easter and into the spring, as we happen to be moving to another location, just seems like the way things have unfurled for us. I'm saying, God, I want the harbor, and not just the harbor, but the harbor and Emmanuel and all the churches of the North Shore. I want us to make inroads into the people who don't know the Lord in this city. A Gordon Conwell student recently did some research, and what she found was that of the 40,000 residents of Beverly, and I know I've shared this stat with you before, but only three to 4,000 are showing up at an assembly like this on a Sabbath day. That's including the Catholic Church, and that's including the temple in this town. So if we're here sitting, wondering, God, <laughs> Lord, what is it that you want to do here? Well, I can say for sure, I don't think God is content with 90% of the people in this city not having a fair shake at learning who Jesus is and what the church looks like in all her glory and all her power. And so I'm sitting here saying, God, I want to be used for noble purposes. What's it going to take, God? How do you have to rearrange me? How do you have to rearrange my life? How do you have to rearrange my priorities such that those who don't know you are more likely to know you? So that's the framework I want to set. It's the framework that Paul sets as we get into this. And let me be clear also. Paul said this in Colossians 1.28. He says, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To hear Paul's heart, he's saying, hey, I want to see people get mature in the Lord. So I'm saying, I want to see out of Beverly and out of the North Shore, I want to see many people get mature in Jesus. And he says this, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And a lot of times the Western church, we say, ooh, labor, ooh, strive. We don't strive, we don't labor. And yes, we don't strive or labor for salvation. God has given us the best gift of all. We don't have to strive for the approval of God. That was won by this cross, the cross on which Jesus died. But I wonder, where is the church? Where is the noble? Where are the noble people who will say, I will labor with God? Not with my energy so that I burn out, but with the energy. Do you hear what Paul said? To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want that. I, say, I read that and I say, yes, Lord. God, let your energy, let your, just Lord, I want to labor for the sake of the kingdom in this city. I want to be a noble vessel for the purposes of God. Lord, use me. Amen? Amen. And so now we get into the meat. Now we get into 
Paul's words for Timothy in this regard. And first, a little tidbit here that is key, but it's not our focus. But let's look at verse 22. It says, flee the evil desires of youth, Timothy. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Timothy's a young man. And so yes, while Paul is saying, yes, you need to walk away from lust and the lust of the flesh, he sure is saying that. But he's also saying, hey, flee the evil desires of youth. And a kind of typical young man stuff can often include just kind of an arrogance and a pride. And, um, and, and I think Paul is saying, hey, curb that stuff. And, he's, and we know that he's saying, he's not giving Timothy a sharp rebuke here. He's saying, hey, you keep on fleeing evil desires like you have been. You keep on pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Amen. And now we get into the crux. As we get into verse 23, now let's start to take our primary question, which is how do we relate to and how do we pray for those who don't know the Lord, those who don't call themselves followers of Jesus. 23 and 24, let's take these together. It says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant, the Lord's bond slave, servant's kind of a sanitized word, the Lord's slave must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And so here we have some of the first lessons. When we are either engaging those who don't know the Lord or we are praying for them, the first lessons we get are kindness, right? That we are to be kind towards them. I love just hearing Brianna's story there about how she engaged the workers there at Claire's. She didn't come in throwing tracks in the worker's face saying, you need to know Jesus. Although that's probably true. She probably does need to know Jesus. But Brianna came in in kindness. And what did she say? She said, you know what? I don't know exactly the verbiage that Brianna said, but she said, is there anything that we could pray for you? Right? Looking to her needs looking to the employee's needs, to the person she was talking to, addressing. Is there anything we could pray for you? We're going to come in kindness. She's not looking for a fight. She's not looking to get an argument about, about the, um, I don't know, the historicity of the Bible or anything. She's just getting into, hey, I want to show some kindness here. I'm not looking for a quarrel. Must be kind to everyone, able to teach Right? So Brianna was able to share a little bit about the faith that she had. Right? We want to be able to share. We should be able to share. I know I just mentioned it. We should. We want to learn how do we defend the, the Bible. We should feel pretty good about what we think about the Bible. That's a whole other topic. We should feel pretty good about the resurrection. You know, I need to be able to say to someone, hey, the reason I'm giving my life for this whole thing is because I really believe that Jesus you know, was raised from the dead. That's a, that's a key part. We should be able to teach that. But it says we shouldn't do it resentfully. We are not to be resentful. And again, that's kind of sanitized in English. The, the sense there is that um, we are to be able to kind of deal with wrong, putting up with things which are bad. We need to be able to put up with things which are bad. In other words, when we start to share the Lord or when we start to pray for people, it's possible that things that are bad come our way. 
Okay, I remember very clearly being at the lunch table um, when I was a teacher at Newton North. And, um, you know, uh, <laughs> it was right around 2004 elections. And so someone asked me, hey, how did you vote? And I said, oh boy, here we go. And, um, and I don't want us to get too, too sidetracked. I want, to, I want you to the heart of, of the story. But, you know, the point was, hey, I just said, you know what? I said, based on a couple of things, I just made some decisions on, you know, what are kind of conservative social values. And that's how I decided to vote. And of course, you know, I mean, I was the clown. I was the idiot in the room. It was like, family values? Is, is hate a family value? You know, it's kind of the first thing that comes across and boom. And I got, I was very embarrassed because my principal was at the same lunch table. And I just got super embarrassed. You know, I was the village idiot for a few minutes at the lunch table. But see, the Lord's servant can't be resentful. If I walked away from that situation just with total bitterness, bitterness in my heart, I would have lost. Because actually what matters is how I didn't respond. You know what I'm saying? The fact that I didn't get into a quarrel. I knew, you know, I knew the game that I was playing right here. And I knew that people who didn't know the Lord, they have no reason to believe any of the things that I believe. And so it, wasn't use, it was not worth my time to be resentful. And so you see, the Lord's servant, we can't be resentful. And actually, I believe in this passage, Paul is hearkening back probably to Isaiah 53. If you know that passage, it's you know, written probably about 700 years before Jesus even came, and Isaiah's prophesied about a suffering servant. The fact that the, the one who God is going to send to rescue us is going to be one who, like a lamb, is led to slaughter. So sometimes in our sharing of our faith, we have to be okay with the fact that we are like a lamb being led to slaughter, and we don't get resentful. We put up with when bad things happen to us, and we are misunderstood. And even like that little story about being at the lunch table, it's like sometimes when we mention faith in Jesus, automatically people put us somewhere on a political spectrum, which drives me nuts. Because I don't want to be known for my political things. I want to be known for being a follower of Jesus. So what I'm saying is we, we, we don't get resentful when as soon as we mention that we follow Jesus, people all of a sudden assign to us all sorts of values or all sorts of things and pictures and whatnot and assumptions about who we are. We don't get resentful. Let's continue. Verses 25 and 26. Again, our question is, Lord, how are we to respond? How are we to act? And how are we to pray for those who don't know Jesus? And Paul says this to to Timothy. Those who oppose him, the servant of the Lord, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Those who oppose him, who oppose the servant of God, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, I don't know about you, but this should, on one hand, it produces a great sigh of relief for me because who's the main actor in verse 25? God. Okay? So I'm cooperating with him. Thank you. Was that Sean back there? God. Thank you, whoever said it. Make yourself known. It's okay. Proud of you. Was it John Prickett? Okay, sorry. I just couldn't. Sorry. I guess I'm losing my um, sense of hearing. And uh, God is the main actor. Right? God is the one who leads people to repentance. And so you know what that does? It actually fuels up for me the desire that I can pray for people because given the fact that sometimes these interactions are awkward and weird, 
doesn't mean I stopped sharing the gospel. I mean, Paul, look at his life. Paul said, I've become all things to all men so that some may believe. So I want to keep him. I want to keep being all things to all people so that some may believe. But guess what? At the end of the day, it's God who leads people to repentance. Listen to Isaiah 60. Let me check this out real quick to encourage us. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, right? People don't see God. But it says, The Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's what I believe, right? That God's the one who leads people to repentance. The light of God is on me. The light of God is on you. The light of God is on the church. And we believe, we believe by faith that people will be attracted to that light. And I believe this is probably also the verse that Paul had in mind when he penned 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, because it's there he says, Hey guys, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the invisible, who is the image of God. Right? So there's a dynamic here. That's why they need to come to their senses, like it says here in verse 26. And like it said last, um, like we mentioned the Luke story last week, the prodigal son, he came to his senses. He came to himself. Likewise, people need to come to their senses, but it's God who does it as we share truth, right? So the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the glory, sorry, the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Meaning everything in the world, have you noticed everything in the world wants to minimize the glory of Christ or minimize the fact that Jesus is the only way? What did Jesus say when he was on the earth? He said, you know, this is the truth that is being talked about in, in, the, in the passage here. We're praying that God would grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And what is that truth? Jesus said it plainly in John. He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And we've got a flood of the whole tide of, of, the, of the culture saying there's got to be many ways to God. It's all the same way, top of the same mountain we can get there. And yet God has made it really clear. There's one truth, and that truth is Jesus. And he is the way to the Father. So in answer to the question, how do I pray for those who don't know the Lord? Well, here's a great one right here. I say, Lord, will you please grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And then here we just, we get a little zinger here. We just got to realize how how grave the situation is. And listen, as I share this, members of my family, people in my neighborhood, people that I see every day, this is the reality. This is like, you know, the Wizard of Oz when at the end you kind of, the curtain goes back and we see that Oz is just, This is what's really going on. Well, curtain pull back, and this is what's really going on. They need to come to their senses because they need to escape the trap of the enemy, the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, that may sound harsh, but it resonates with Scripture. Paul said it elsewhere in Galatians 3.22. He says, Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. And later, John, 1 John 3.8, he says, The devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And let's not forget when Jesus was tempted, what was one of the ways that the enemies tempted, the enemy tempted him? The enemy tempted Jesus by saying, hey, check out all this. All the kingdoms of the world. Jesus was able to see in a moment the splendor of all the kingdoms of the world. My point is this, that the kingdoms of the world and in some kind of mysterious tension, the kingdoms of the world belong to the enemy, okay? Now, God did create us good. He created mankind. He said, yes, be fruitful, multiply, 
multi-language tongue. It's, it's all wonderful. It's all God. But somewhere in there, tainted by the enemy, is the fact that the world system, economics and politics and even religion, church, all these things are tainted by the fact that the enemy is over them and has a certain authority for a certain time. And it's that enemy who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They don't see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, excuse me, from 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So this is how we pray. And so this is what I've come to since um, I'm into like pithy sayings that you can take home with you. This is what I've come up with, hearkening to a wonderful film that came out in 2000, slightly modifying the title. Crouching Lamb, Hidden Lion. <laughs> Crouching Lamb, Hidden Lion. Everyone say it. Crouching Lamb. Crouching hidden lamb. Lion. When it comes to our relating to and praying for unbelievers, we crouch like a lamb, and I'll tell you about the lion part in a second. Meaning, crouching, we, are, we relate to people gently and in kindness and not being resentful, right? Just like Brianna did. Just like Mary when she shared. She didn't just condemn her sister for being a crystal meth addict. No, she prayed for her. Christina, when she met her friends in Seattle, she didn't say, hey, do you know that you are um, trapped by the devil right now? That wasn't her opening line. (laughs) Instead, Christina was a little crouching lamb, and she was kind to her. Mary was kind to her sister. Okay, Brianna was kind to the people she met. How can I pray for you, right? Just the other day, or not the other day, it's more like a month ago, uh, Kelsey and I were with Priscilla and Beth and Kirsten, and we were at Acapulco's, one of my favorite places. And as is kind of custom for me and others around here to do, we asked the waiter, hey, we're about to say grace, and I think we could pray for you. And this is often the case with people who are not kind of in the mainstream, right? This is a guy who speaks mostly Spanish and um, probably doesn't live in Beverly. That's just a guess, but he's very open. Even with my broken Spanish and his broken English, we started to communicate and he was very open. But the point was, I was a crouching lamb. How can I pray for you? Okay? But inside, there's this hidden lion. And the hidden lion is, hey, buddy, I didn't, I didn't say this at all, but the hidden lion is, by the way, you are, if you don't know Jesus, you are ensnared by the devil, and you're captive to his will. You're going to just be like him. And, you know, Jesus said, the devil's the father of lies, and you're just going to live lies, and you can't get out of that un- until Christ breaks through. And that's what's going on the inside. That's the hidden part, okay? The lion is hidden, but the lamb's crouching and ready to love in the name of Jesus. And that's what we do. So we're crouching like a lamb, and we have the hidden lion inside. I love what um, Michael Ramsey, he was the former uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. He was the head of the Anglican Church, and he has a book out called The Christian Priest Today. He's, it's a, it's a, um, a collection of the things that he was charging. As new priests were coming to the Anglic- Anglican Church in England, he, he would um, encourage them, and one of the things that he encouraged them with was prayer, and he said, all prayer is is you go, being with God, with the people on your heart. In other words, you're just recalling kind of Old Testament imagery of the fact that the priest would come in and he'd have the tribes of Israel written on their heart. It says all prayer is, is prayer is going with God, being with God, with the people on your heart. So if the whole idea of being a lion and getting after it in prayer is a little bit scary to you, just now let me just break it down and say, hey, what we do is we go with God and we bring the people on our heart. So I go into prayer and I say, God, remember my dad. God, remember my mom. 
God, remember this coworker who doesn't know the Lord, not in our church, by the way, just so you know. It's not actually a coworker in our church. But let's say, remember this person. Sorry. <laughs> remember this stop and shop employee who I see every time and I try to get in there and still this force field's going on and what do I do? Remember them. And I just go into God's presence in prayer. Okay, so this is what I want you to do. And actually, why don't we get the worship team back up here? Um, but <clears throat> what I want you to do is I want you to... Um, well, I want you to pray for someone who doesn't know the Lord. And for some of you, you've already, you've already been doing that. We, we talked two weeks ago about getting a focus. We said, God, give me a focus. I believe that my prayers matter. I can smell that my prayers matter. So Lord, give me a prayer focus. Maybe some of you already have as a focus someone who doesn't yet know the Lord. Then last week we said, hey, what's good is when we pray scripture. So rest assured, pray the word. And so as far as praying for someone who doesn't know the Lord, here's a great scripture to pray. Pray. 2 Timothy 2, 26, 25. Lord, I pray. Let them, let them, um, God, give them a revelation of truth um, and let them not be ensnared by the enemy anymore. Or the 2 Corinthians 4, 4 is another good one. You know, Lord, the, I pray, let the blinders be taken off so they can see you. Because what's needed is a revelation, something that comes from heaven. That's what we do. And I'm convinced of this. Again, I mentioned a shift happening. There's a reason why I've been hitting this prayer piece this prayer secret weapon, and that is that as we move into Easter, I really think that God wants to break through. As I said, church is fun, but guess what? I want to start reaching the neighbors who don't go to church, okay? I do have a great time at church. Actually, I get energized and jazzed every time we get together. It's the presence of God comes, the body of Christ, it's wonderful. But gosh, it's time for us to do a little bit more, don't you think? So we know our prayers matter. We know we can rest assured, pray the word, and now we're going to be crouching lamb. Hidden lion. Okay? We're kind and gentle. We don't quarrel. But then, hidden is the lion. We pray and we beg God to move in their lives. And don't you know that this month in April, there's going to be people who come to the Lord at Emmanuel? Don't you know that this month, people are going to come with you to church, to the harbor? Don't you know that at Netcast Church in the YMCA, they're going to come? At the Nazarene Church, they're going to come. At Christ the Redeemer. Yes, even in the Anglican Church, more people will come. Just kidding. That's a joke. Sorry, especially. They're, they're already packed up. They have a lot of people in their parking lot. God's going to show up. And people who don't know the Lord are going to show up in those places. The question is, where are our crouching lambs, hidden lions? Are they here? Are you going to do it? Will you? And um, <laughs> perfect window for me to end with this wonderful quote. This is J. Sidlow Baxter. He was an Australian pastor who just died in 1999. He was born in 1903. He says this. Get a hold of this, all you crouching lambs, hidden lions. He says, men may spurn our appeals. They may reject our message. And they may oppose our arguments. But hopefully you're not getting into too many. They may despise our persons. But they are helpless against our prayers. They are utterly helpless. Amen? Stand up. Stand up. Thank you, Lord. Yes, come on. Lord, we're asking for the spirit of grace and supplication. That means grace to get at the throne of God and say, I'm not going to let go until this one comes to the Lord. I'm not going to let go until this one gets healed. I'm not going to let go until we see the kingdom of God come in Beverly, come at Emmanuel, come at Christ the Redeemer, come at Netcast come in the streets of our neighborhood. That's what we're believing for. Anything less is a joke. Anything less is just a game. 
We're asking for a real move of your spirit by the power of God, by the love of God. Won't you come, Lord? We bless you. We worship you. We love you. We lift you up.